All right, good morning. I'm sorry. Yeah, good morning. It's Friday morning. Um, doing the podcast a little bit earlier today than normal. Um, but I still still do have a ton of questions that came in over the last couple days. So um, we'll get right to these so I can get through them because there's quite a few of them. So um, number one, what do you think about CHK share dilution increase share count by 50% Q1? Continue to enlarge share costs, remember share price is impossible. Well, the dilution was due to the wild horse acquisition. Um, a large number or majority of uh, shareholders that were offered a certain amount of cash or shares elected for shares. So the share count went up. So I'm okay with that because I think that the uh, wild horse um, acquisition is going to be very healthy for them in the long run. Um, it's leading to them saying they're going to be cash flow positive end of this year. It's increasing their exposure to oil, which I think is good. So it, and all around, it's a good deal, and it's proven so far to be a very good deal. Um, so I'm okay with that sort of uh, dilution. True, I don't want them to keep doing it, and I would not think that that would be in the cards to be done anytime soon again. Um, so that's where we are. Uh, what do you think of Beyond Meat Incorporated? Should we think about buying push to short it? So here's the thing with that Beyond Meat and any of these kind of stocks like that. Um, by any rational measure, it's incredibly overvalued. Um, the flip side to that is the growth runway ahead of it is also incredible. Um, and stocks like this can stay at valuations like this for a very long time. Um, even companies that haven't had profitability yet. Uh, if you look at salesforce.com, that stock doubled, tripled, quintupled, and they were losing money every year. Uh, they've only recently become profitable. So, you know, to me, um, I don't like to short companies that are growing because they can remain irrationally valued for a very long time. Uh, I, when I do short, it's like I was going to short Tesla. Um, it's because the company's stumbling. Its financials are a mess. They had to raise money to cover cash shortfalls. Sales are not where they're supposed to be. So the company's in de decline or a company where there's accounting fraud or things like that going on. Um, those are more, more to me, short um, candidates or candidates that buy puts in. Um, I'm not comfortable stepping in front of a locomotive saying that it's got to run out of gas eventually because we know it will. But beyond me, I, I don't know, I think it was at 160 or something yesterday, 150. Um, it could run out of gas at 250. Right or three hundred, or they could. Or who knows what's going to happen? It's a new category. It's a brand new product, and people are racing to buy it. Fast food companies are racing to put it in their um, in their stores. So I, it's not something that I would I would consider. Um, what do you think about GE? When do you expect it has a turnaround? Why? Why? So I think GE. I think GE has passed bottomed both uh, stock price-wise and fundamentally. Um, the news has gone from, you know, one bad thing after another to now we're seeing record orders at the air show for them. We're seeing large energy contracts being signed and energy's been a weakness. You know, it's kind of a cyclical business and it's been a weakness for them for a while. Um, so I think that, um, uh, I think GE's on its way up. Culp is a first-class operator. He was from Donaher before he came to GE. He's been very honest, very transparent. Uh, when there's something, when there's some news that hasn't been good, he's been out with it right away in front of investors. And I think things like that 
start giving people confidence that if you're not hearing anything bad from him, then just because there's nothing bad's going on, that things are getting better, things are improving. Um, so I, I think it's on its way. Um, what is the intrinsic value of IPR? So far, it's P ratio 112, price to book is four, price sales, price cash flow for the historically industrial highs, overvalue specifically or not. So here's the thing. So this, I got this question uh, from a couple people about IEPR. So um, I'll just address it all at once. Um, if you look at it, it's a REIT. So we want to look at, you know, the cap rate. Um, it's a unique REIT in that it carries almost no debt whatsoever. And that's because obviously cannabis is going to be banked and they've, they've raised money by issuing shares again, which is fine. Um, and when we bought it, um, it in, it's up what, 250% since when we bought it. Um, right now, I'm assuming, um, uh, consistent dividend increases based on Q1. Uh, we're getting about a 6% yield on our invested capital, which in a year to go from two to six is amazing. Um, and the company is growing gangbusters. So if we just did a, a quick cap rate. It's about a $1.3 billion company. If we took 2018's earnings of $5.4 million, it had a cap rate of about four, um, which is low, but not outrageous at all, considering the fact the company's growing earnings the way they are. If we do the same thing and we look at the $1.3 billion company, and again, this is going to, you know, the stock can moves up or down 5% a day. It's, it's pretty volatile stock. Um, so, you know, the 1.3 billion could be 1.2 in, <laughs> in six hours. It could be 1.67. It, it, the company, it, it's wildly traded. So I'm giving you cocktail napkin examples. But the company earned $5.4 million last year. Um, they earned $3.2 million in Q1 of this year. So you're looking at 12 to $13 million in earnings this year. And that's probably on the low side. And that assumes, you know, no more uh, growth, no more acquisitions of properties and no more, you know, we have rent increases happening every year. So uh, that assumes a lot of things don't happen. Um, so you're looking at 12, 13 to 14 million in earnings this year versus five last year. Uh, if you did the same $1.3 billion valuation, you get a cap rate of about 10, which is to me far too high for that. It should be much lower given their growth, given the fact of the only publicly traded REIT, given the dividend increases. Um, so yes, the price has gone crazy. Yes, there are some metrics that um, are extraordinarily high. Uh, you can't really use a PE ratio for a REIT. It's not really how they're judged, um, especially when you have them building out properties. Um, it's going to uh, affect things like that. Um, so I'm looking at net earnings. I'm not looking at, you know, uh, the P ratios and things like that. Um, price of sales, you know, you don't really look at that for read either. You're looking at cap rates. So I don't feel that it's overvalued at all, um, given its growth. Now, if that growth were to stumble at the current ratio, um, the current price, then yeah, that's something we need to look at then. But there's nothing to indicate the price is going to stumble. There's still no competitors in the market, and they still have no debt. So, you know, it's everything they're bringing in is going to the bottom line. They have $250 million in cash, although that's some recent deals that's probably gone down a bit. But, I mean, they're sitting on a boatload of cash in the last capital raise. It's, everything's good. Um, so I don't view the company as grossly overvalued at all. Yes, it's had an amazing run price-wise. 
but it's had that amazing run because earnings are going through the roof and cash flow is going through the roof and the dividends being raised 30 to 40 percent quarter over quarter okay year over year the dividends up eight the dividend is up 80 percent from q1 2018 to q1 2019 that's eight, i mean those companies deserves deserve um, higher um, valuations just because of what they're the performance. So that's how I look at um, IIPR. Um, when do you think we see the Treasury plan? When do you plan on buying common? Do you plan to buy common? So I mean, they said June. So you know, it's the government. So maybe June, maybe first week of July. I, you know, I don't. I'm just basing on what they said. It should be next week or the week after at the latest. I have to imagine they want something out before the 4th of July break um, just so people can get a look at it before they go away. Or, you know, maybe they um, put it out right around then so the markets are closed so that things don't uh, go absolutely berserk. I have no idea, but um, we'll see about that um, as far as the when. Uh, when do I plan on buying common? I own some common. I didn't sell all my common. Uh, I, I transitioned most of my common into the $50 preferred stocks, as I said before. Um, but I still do own some common. And as far as buying more, again, all that depends on what sort of plan comes out, um, what things look like um, when they announce it. Um, you know, obviously, I'm operating under the assumption that I'm going to get a decent amount of common anyway. Um, because I'm going to have my preferred shares converted at par. That's obviously what I'm thinking. So again, uh, I, everything regarding buying more and how much to convert or take cash, if they offer that, I don't know. It all depends on the plan and how things shape out after that. So I really can't, I, I can't give a definitive, this is what I'm going to do thing. Um, Another question. Have you exited all your positions in ESI? Why? Yeah, I did that a while back um, just because I, better opportunities. And, you know, this company that seemed to be going through a new CEO every year, year and a half, new plan every year, year and a half, and just couldn't seem to get any sort of traction and direction. And, you know, after three years of seeing, you know, new plan after new plan, a new CEO after new CEO, and then a sale of this, so the first they were going to, you know, put together these sort of niche businesses under one roof in a conglomerate style, then they broke that up. So it's just, you know, it, it was just, you know, maybe I get back into it when things sort of settle out down the road. But, you know, I, I liked um, some of the other opportunities, the stocks that I had, and um, I used that money to purchase other things. And we still did all right in it. Uh, it wasn't like it was a big loser, but I just viewed that some of the other opportunities we have, uh, you know, especially with VPG, we just bought last week, week before. Um, I think, uh, I think, you know, that's definitely a company that's, um, in a certain direction at a certain growth rate, stable CEO, stable ownership sort of thing. And it's, I think that the money is going to work out better there than, uh, in ESI. Um, everyone seems to be anticipating release of the plan for GSCs in June. If one does not come next week, we don't hear anything in the July one, when do we begin to worry? And two, being realistic, when does the window close as far as the calendar is concerned? Working against us, of course, is the do-nothing Congress in the election in 2020. I can't help but think the window is actually a small one. Um, yeah, I, mean, I don't think it's a huge window. Um, 
But uh, so I think this kind of goes back to uh, a question we had last week about um, ending the net worth sweep, whether it happens in Q3, Q4, Q1 next year um, being in an event. And I, I think that actual reform is one thing. I think announcing the type of reform they want is another. And I think the stocks will react based on the type of reform that is proposed. So I think the window for actually getting the reform done is one thing, but I think the window for a proposal which makes the stocks move in a significant way is a bit of a larger one. You know, if they if they come out next week and say we're finalizing a plan, we're going to have it out and, you know, on July 20th, I don't think that has a huge um huge effect on things in some ways i think it might be better because i'm not sure people are convinced right now that there's a plan coming out and there's been so many false starts with this over the years that um, i think people are sort of in a we'll believe there's a plan coming when we see a plan um the flip side is calabria has done everything he said he's going to do so i you know he's talked about GSE reform and ending the conservatorship in every single speech he's given, every time before Congress, Mortgage Bank Association, wherever he is, that's what he talks about. It seems at this point to be a singular focus of his. So I'm highly skeptical that nothing comes out. And I do think that whatever comes out will have a significant effect on the price of the stocks. Um, and, you know, then we take a look at things then um, Versus the risk of nothing happening. I mean, if you have a $50 preferred stock and they say, this is the plan, we're planning to convert the preferred at par and da 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 da, da and they run from 20 to 48 bucks in two or three days, um, do you take some money off at that point and wait and see what happens with the plan or how likely the, pass, the plan is passed? Sorry. Um, are the revisions to it or whatever? I mean, do you take a certain 100% gain? Uh, versus holding on for a couple more bucks in a conversion when the reality probably is you could buy those preferreds back later down the road for a conversion or something. So there's other things that could happen based on what is said and when. So um, I do think if they don't get something significant done, um, again, they can have all the plans they want and things like that, but uh, they clearly need to get something done by early next year if they're going to have any chance of... Um, getting Congress to do something right away. So I think it's going to be more of an issue where uh, Calabria and Mnuchin are going to force Congress to do something uh, because they're just going to steamroll ahead and force Congress to act, force Congre Congress to take steps to, um, to reform or be involved in the process. So um, bought a membership right around the time of IPR, bought in the 38s, 200 shares worth, crazy run. Thank you for that. You're welcome. I love stuff like that. Um, currently hold 20,000 shares of BAC, average price of 10 and change. Uh, bank is, the bank is making $28 billion a year, buying back $600 million worth of stock per year. They don't need new capital, can't buy and merge. Their books, unlike Netflix or Apple, are being ported by government regulators. Is the, is the story of BAC being told, in your opinion? Um, what's going to stop them from just paying out all the earnings for years to come? All right, so is the story being told? Um... I mean, I think right now, you know, we're kind of in a tech craze again. Um, you know, any yeah, every company coming public is a tech company. I think a lot of sectors are kind of forgotten. Um, I don't think there's any negative 
thoughts on BAC out there. I'm like, you know, 10 years ago or nine years ago when we first bought these stocks, um, eight years ago, actually. Um, but I think, you know, I don't, I don't think they've been forgotten. I think they're just sort of just plugging along, doing their thing. Um, what's going to stop them from just paying out all the earnings years to come? Uh, nothing. They basically do that now. Um, you know, if they can't, they can't merge by another bank. They're using money to invest in technology. They're lowering their headcount, closing some branches that, you know, because people just don't go to the bank like they used to anymore. Um, they're doing more online. Yeah, there's just nothing to stop them. Um, what's your dividend prediction for BSC next week? Do you have a sell point for BSC? So I, I, I've always been of the impression that Bank of America should have a higher dividend than it does. It's typically been on the low end of the major banks. And I think that, being more competitive with that dividend would, um, I think, uh, entice more shareholders and drive the price up. Um, they've been very invested in buying back stock, which has obviously been very accretive to earnings. So, I mean, it's one of those things. Moynihan's done an amazing job. Um, it's it's working. So, I, you know, I'm not overly concerned about... Um, the percentage they give to dividends versus um, buybacks, but I, I would like a little bit more competitive dividend situation. Uh, do you have a sell point for Bank of America? I mean, at this point now, it's a fundamental story. So a sell point would be they start to stumble. You know, I just um, posted yesterday. You know, the credit card, the consumer credit card metrics, delinquencies, and charge-offs are all moving in the right direction for the last three months. So. Um, if there's this huge slowdown in the economy, people are saying and the RR's not being showed up in consumer credit yet, uh, which is usually one of the first places to start showing up. Um, that's actually for not even just Bank of America. Most of the major banks are seeing the same trends. So consumer credit's getting better. Um, charge-offs are either stable or low, trending lower also. So, you know, that looks good. Um, you know, as long as the bank's performing and the stock will reflect that, I'm going to keep holding it. You know, maybe we start to hit a recession or things like that. So maybe you take some off the table then. And if the price drops or gets real cheaper down the road, we buy. But, you know, even sometimes in recessions, banks do pretty well. Uh, if they're able to buy back boatloads of stock cheaper, it helps you in the long run. So you got to take a look at it. So I don't have any hard set. You know, if it hits $40 a share, I'm going to sell. Well, if it hits $40 a share because um, um, the fundamentals deserve $40 a share, then why sell it? So. Um, recession with Trump going for re-election seems unlikely. Um, I, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of times recessions can be self-inflicted wounds. So, <clears throat> and I, I'm always cautious to say this. I don't see a recession on the horizon. Um, I really don't. But, you know, if a just trade spat becomes a full-blown war, we could, you know, trade trade war ourselves into a recession if... This thing in the Middle East becomes a really widespread regional conflict. A set of a couple of missiles being fired here that could do something to global growth. I mean, there's there's a lot of self-inflicted wounds you could have that could cause one. Um, but barring some significant outside event, uh, I think we just keep humming along. So I, I, Q2 GDP was raised higher than the original estimates and uh, was raised higher from the current estimates. Uh, it was like 1.9. Now I think it's 2.2, 2.3. Now, so it's we're still growing at a decent clip. So yeah, I don't see a recession, um, barring something stupid happening, and you know that's always a possibility. So, um, 
You've been on top of the rising tensions in the Persian Gulf, which continue to escalate. As you mentioned, this will help a number of investors in the portfolio, but these same companies not directly tied to the price of oil, but those that benefit from increased demand. Have you looked at any valuations of the bigger oil producer companies like XML, whether they're tied directly to the price of oil? Would you, would these be a good play now as well, or do you think too much specific company risk, i.e. Exxon tanker or facility is attacked? Um, so as far as the tensions go in the Persian Gulf, I mean, it's, I think, I don't think there's any great prognostications on my part. I think it's just pretty, it's a region where you can't turn the other cheek and back down, right? So these things always have to escalate in that region because that's just the mentality of authoritative regimes, right? An authoritative regime can't back, can't be seen as weak, can't be seen as backing down, can't be seen as ignoring a threat. They have to address it. They have to attack it. And this is not a Middle East thing. This is the same thing with China. This is the same thing with Russia or any of these European authoritative regimes, whatever they are, wherever they've been in the world, Venezuela, whatever, um, they can't back down. So these things have to keep being ratcheted up. So it's just, it's not a, a great prediction. It's just, you know, hundreds of years of history. This is how these things happen. So um, as far as companies that benefit the price of oil, I'm not, I mean, Chesapeake is, right? Chesapeake's trading with oil now. Um, the Permian Basin is going nuts. So I think unless you get um lar really like the Strait of Hormuz is closed or shipping there drops seventy percent because there's a conflict in the area or you know Iran decides to attack Iraq or you know UAE again like, you know, like, like the first Gulf War they just decided to, to attack the whole area. Uh well that was Iraq but you know what I mean. Um I don't see oil going to a hundred, hundred and ten dollars. So but I do see demand for oil growing and I do see U.S. production of oil continuing to grow. So that's why I'm more interested in the shipping of the product and the volumes produced to the product than something that's directly tied to price. And clearly, I do have exposure with that through Chesapeake. Um, but I think Chesapeake is much cheaper than the oil majors. Um, and that's not to say that you know some of them aren't a good bet. Um, some of the refiners, I think, might be good bets because they are in the way the same way the pipeline companies are they're tied to volumes right the more refining capacity they have to put through the more money they make whether the oil is 40 or 70 they're making their spread off um, what they're putting through what they're charging on the other end um, so the more they're putting through just like Kinder Morgan uh, the better for them so that's those are some um, uh, other plays that might be interesting that I haven't looked at and, and really I haven't because a significant part of my portfolio is in energy right now and I don't want to I'm not a I don't want to have a pure energy portfolio so again if I were to do something else in the space it would have to be something more appealing than what I currently have and right now I really haven't found that so uh, for the lawsuits you have described from Fannie preferred shareholders if there are damages penalty awarded do you know if it will go to all preferred shareholders even those that recently bought preferred shares or would it have to own the preferred shares at the time of losses. Yeah, no, so the original um, appellate court decision came out and, and referenced that, and then they went back and backed off because the, the, when, you, the, when you buy a, a share of stock, you buy the stock and everything that goes with it. You can't say that I'm buying a stock and anything that happened before this date um, 
uh, doesn't apply to me. Anything that happened after that date doesn't apply to the guy I bought it from. I mean, you, you buy everything when you buy the share stock. Uh, that was clarified later on, and so no, um, it's all going to be now. <coughs> it might be like a dividend thing, you know, like uh, um, shareholders of this date are going to get this, but it's going to be the date of whatever settlement is is announced. Um, it's not going to be, uh, you know, it can they're not going to go back to 2012. They're going to say, you know, we've agreed to settle this or um, penalties are being awarded to shareholders of date. And it'll be a current date. It won't be backdated eight years. Um, do you have a different investing approach to money held in a retirement account compared to money held in a tax portfolio money you manage for others? Just curious if you think retirement money requires a more conservative approach or if the approach of finding good companies that are undervalued is the best approach even for retirement money would be interested in any views. So I guess it's all timing for me, you know. Um, if you have 30 years to retirement, then I don't think you should have your 401k in a bond fund. Um, if you have three years to retirement, then you should have a significant portion in, it, in something or something more, um, you know, dividend-oriented or something like that. So that's just the way I look at it. I don't invest retirement money any differently than any other money. Um, lastly... A pre-congratulations on reaching 1,000 downloads. I saw you... down. Oh, for the podcast. I saw you were at 941 before the release of the June 21st podcast. So I'm sure you'll get there by Friday. I guess that is a sign that a lot of people appreciate your blabbering. <laughs> so thanks for what you're doing. Uh, you're very welcome. I didn't, um, I didn't realize that uh, I was there with the, the downloads. But that's great then because... Um, Again, if we want to do it, I just hope that there's some value for it for everyone. If people are downloading and listening to it, then I'm guessing they do see some sort of value. So that's very encouraging. Thank you. Um, any idea of the status of Fannie Mae? Uh, same as everyone else. Mr. G. Phillip left. What happened? He, he announced a while ago he was moving on. Craig Phillips, um, you know, it's government. People go in and out all the time. He... Um, uh, said he would leave when the plan was done. So I'm under the assumption that he actually left is because what he needed to do on the plan to release the GSEs, he completed and he's moved on to the private sector, which is what, you know, 99% of government people do. Um, so I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't read too much into it. Uh, which do you think the timetable is? Again, I have I have no idea on that. I'm going by what uh, Calabria said that they wanted something presented by the end of June. Um, I've heard that there are drafts of things, you know, circulating around FHFA and Treasury, and um, clearly Mnuchin and Calabria are, are talking. I'm, I'm doubting that he's going to present a plan, and Mnuchin hasn't been thoroughly briefed on and had some sort of input. Um, they don't want to release a plan and then argue about it in public, right? They want to release a plan which is presumably acceptable to both sides so they can move on move on with it as quickly as possible that's what i would imagine that would make the most sense so um do you think hc will hit 80 or 120 first with the delay in the seaport any kind of market pullback i'd easily stock that down to 84 sales to where we think it eventually go any thoughts i know you don't have a crystal ball um, i think for it to hit 80 i think it would have to i think we'd have to see some significant slowdowns um you know, the last time it went down to 80 was during the oil crash um, because it still traded with oil inexplicably. Um, and uh, I think that's what would have to happen since I don't see that happening. I just see it sort of, like I've said before, waffling around this $100 and $110 area. Um, 
kind of fluctuating there. And uh, obviously, when we start getting hard numbers on the seaport, I still do believe it's going to um, start to rise from there. So, um, pot REIT, IPR, what kind of cap? Oh, I answered that earlier. Um, just because the stock price is rising doesn't make it a good investment. I would like to think IP, IIPR has a multi-year runway. What is your perception expectation after this rocket launch? I mean, so right now you're still looking at 33 states, I believe it is, that have legalized uh, medical marijuana. So we still have, you know, uh, a bunch of states to go. Um, I think it's 18 left. I don't know if it's 35 now. I don't know. I don't. I don't know the exact number. It's around 33 states that um, have uh, not legalized uh, medical marijuana yet. Um, recreational is being discussed. The feds today just backed off the um, just the House signed a bill saying that the feds will not prosecute or interfere anyway with state laws of marijuana, which is huge. That was one of the minor hangovers on the industry. Um, so I think that's positive. I think medical marijuana is in its infancy. Um, I know it's not covered by insurance in my state. Uh, I don't think it's covered by insurance in any state that I know of yet. So people are still paying out of pocket for it. I know a lot of your traditional doctors um, aren't believing in it, aren't um, um, uh, aren't prescribing it. You know, they're kind of standoffish on it. The research on it is in its infancy. It, it's growing, but it's still in its infancy. So there's still not a lot of acceptance of it, which means the market for it is huge. If you look at the acceptance of it now compared to where it was three years ago, even two years ago, it's grown leaps and bounds. So you can only imagine the next three, four, five years, uh, the acceptance of it's going to grow either more, even more. Uh, as more states legalize it, we're going to need more of it, which means you're going to need more facilities to grow it. Um, <clears throat> and that is huge for IIPR. So, I mean, it, the runway is enormous for them. Um, they just signed another deal. I just saw the press release this morning. I'll, I'll put it on the blog later in Michigan, which Michigan was just opened up its markets. Um, so it's they have a long, long runway um, ahead of them. Uh, the, 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 um, the market is still small compared to where it's going to be. So they're, they're at a great spot, so... Um, with your recent moves, what percentage of your overall GSC is in common now? Just curious, you pairs of micro center reduce the mine twenty one percent. I don't, I really don't do the percentage game things. With I said this before over the years because uh, depending on someone's risk tolerance, depending on someone's life, um, uh, uh, not life, um, where you are in your life, <clears throat> um, I wouldn't want to say I have thirty percent of my GSNV investment in common, which could be really voluntary. And someone in their sixties or seventies goes and does the same thing and gets financially hurt by it if things don't work out for the common. So I don't, I don't do that kind of thing. You need to um, figure out where you want your percentages based on where you are and your risk tops, things like that. And without knowing anyone on here, um, I don't ever give percentages of things. I mean, you, I guess you can kind of gather in the portfolio the number of times I've bought certain things. Um, how much I tend to like them based on the valuation. Um, but, you know, I, I took my common down significantly and, and rolled a bunch of that money into um, the preferreds just because I feel like I got a 10% bump right there. And um, I view that as a more predictable outcome. 
So a uh, couple other things. Um, the Fed. What's your perception of the Fed? So interestingly enough, the Fed, I view what just happened with the Fed as the ultimate Fed put. Um, it was really a unique thing. He, my interpretation of the Fed statement and my interpretation of the press release Powell did afterward was he basically told us that if the, if the economy stays where it is or gets a little better, the likelihood of a rate increase is virtually nothing. He basically told us that if the economy falters or gets a little worse, they're going to be cutting rates. So, I mean, it, it really, he basically telegraphed that if things stay the same or get better, don't expect rates to go up. If they stay, you know, maybe where they are, it'll get a little bit worse, then you can expect a rate cut. So it's a really, he basically said, you know, I, to investors, like, I got your back. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the most simple way to put it, was the way I read it. I and mean, if anyone read it differently, um, send me an email and let me know about it. You know, it was incredibly transparent. He basically came out and said what he's going to do. Now, obviously, if things move significantly in either direction, um, what he said uh, isn't really going to matter uh, because he's going to, obviously, they're going to have to make a different decision. But, you know, the next meeting's in July. I don't see a huge surge in the economy in the next four weeks, especially during the summer months, um, nor do I see it collapsing either in the next month. And there's really nothing going on in the overall economy that would cause it to simply stall. I mean, again, other than some massive regional Middle Eastern conflict or some huge terrorist event or something like that, um, you know, again, assuming things stay in a semi-moderate course like they are now, um, I don't see it changing. So I think the likelihood of him cutting rates in June, I'm sorry, July, even if things kind of stay the way they are, I think is pretty high. So I think for equity investors, that's, that's a great place to be, right? I mean, traditionally, it's been great. And I, you know, I don't know, was it two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, I did a post on how this is kind of like 1995, uh, Davis and wrote it um and now it was interestingly enough i'm watching cnbc last night and they flipped it on this morning just to see the news about any news about uh oil and um they're talking about jesus is just like 1995 out there um which you know the fed um you know cut rates with a market at the all-time high and the economy growing but it wasn't growing where it was and they wanted more inflation so they cut rates and it's a very similar thing and that led to several years of outstanding stock market returns. So, um, I mean, who knows, but it was a really interesting statement and I, yeah, I just don't see, see anything not to like it. So, um, there's a research report out. Um, I read it last week on, uh, PRIM. Um, I forget the name of the company right now, but they did a good dive into it. And their, their conclusion was that, uh, fair value for $32 a share. Uh, which is roughly 50-some percent upside from current levels. Uh, I thought it was a good report, and I agree with it. Um, I think it's really, an, you know, it's a small, overlooked company. And, you know, sometimes these small companies like that are under the radar and kind of drift around like this, and then they explode higher, and someone comes in and, and buys them out. So, you know, that's, that's if it stays this cheap, I think that's likely to happen at some point. Um, but I do agree with the, um, I think it was Cornerstone Research came out with it. 
I think that's who it was. Um, but you know, they did a, a very nice job with, um, with the, um, uh, with the research report for anyone who has access to it. It, it was good. So, um, let me see what else we have. I'm going to check real quick if, um, any late questions came in. I don't, yeah, I don't see anything. Yep. Okay. So that's, that's it for this week. Um, I hope everyone has a, a happy and a very safe weekend. And I will look forward to seeing everyone again next week and send your questions. You can send questions. A lot of people wait till Thursday to send questions. Uh, you can send them at any time and I'm just keeping them on a separate document. So the emails don't get lost or anything like that. So, um, send them anytime you want. I'll just add them in. And then again, like I did last week, I will put them on the, um, on the post about the podcast so you guys can follow along easier with what question I'm answering, what the actual question was. And then, um, uh, don't forget the affiliate program. We got a bunch of people signed up now who are doing really well with it. So I really, I like the idea of, um, people being able to earn free memberships and basically actually make money or get paid off being a member for a value plays. I think that's a really cool thing and I really like it for you guys. So, uh, again, if anyone needs any help signing up for it, let me know and I'll, I'll get you started on it. So, Again, have a great weekend, and I will see you guys all next week.